All right, it is so good to be with you ladies once again. It's been way, way, way too long. And yeah, I just can't believe the year is already ending. But I'm so grateful for the chance to just check in with you guys, see how you're doing, and just discuss the craziness that was the year 2020. (laughs) And just look forward to this new year. So as always, let's start off with a check-in question. And today's check-in question is kind of basic, but y'all know you love it. What are your, who are your Spotify top artists for 2020? You can give the top one, top five. I'll be sharing my top five because I love them all so much. Um, And I will ask Bernie first. Bernie, who is your top 2020 artist of the year? um well hey y'all it really has been a minute and as you were saying that Evie I realized like I don't really know when the last time I actually saw you which is hilarious <laughs> in person and I'm like you are Much. literally like 10 minutes for me many months um, yeah it's been a wild year um Spotify so I don't have the list up but I do remember the top two and this is very me um with all that 2020 has brought me so first is Janae Aiko love me son Janae and beautiful chorus um so especially like everyone knows no maybe not everyone knows but basically like I have this weekly bath ritual where like I dim like all my lights I just put candles all around my bath um if I if I'm feeling crystals I put crystals I fill it up with some eucalyptus epsom salt baths and I just like play Janae and Beautiful Chorus. Beautiful Chorus has like beautiful, um, like acapella, um, like meditation music with all women of color, super amazing. Um, Has been really great for my own meditation practice. But those two, that's probably why they're at the top because I take baths so often (laughs) and it's been a stressful ass year. So uh, those two have definitely been my saving grace. And I thank all of them. Bernie, literally two weeks ago, my Spotify, like Discover Weekly, included a song from Beautiful Chorus. Um, and it was saying, what was it saying? Like, I am everything I want to be and I have everything I need. Mm-hmm. Bruh, when I heard that, just playing this, them, those women singing it over and over again for those like seven minutes, I was like, this is like such a transformative beautiful meditative song and I immediately sent it to some of my friends I was like oh my gosh guys you have to listen to this and I think they were sort of like okay cool but I was like wow this is so beautiful so this is so funny that I just recently learned a beautiful chorus Mm -hmm. I I love that I love that yes yeah exactly I as you were saying that that was the exact one that came to my head because sometimes it's hard for me to say affirmations in the morning or like I know when I'm feeling really down, it's like, I don't want to say it. So then I have beautiful chorus say it to me <laughs> in my head. Like, I'm everything I want to be. I'm everything I need. And I'm like, dang, you know what? That's what I needed. It's so powerful. It is yeah. so powerful. I love that. I love that for you. I love that for me. I love that for all of us. <laughs> listeners, check out beautiful chorus, especially our women of color listeners. Mm-hmm. It is so affirming. So affirming. And I'm a popcorn to Nicole. Hey, everyone. So yeah, 2020, what a crazy year. Um, my my top artists, I, I guess I just don't listen to enough artists on repeat. So I don't actually like 100% agree that these are like, oh, the people that I listen to all the time. Because I like listen to such random songs and like I'm always sending them out. So, but I mean, yeah, I do listen to these people a lot. So the top two are Celia Cruz and Earth, Wind & Fire. So I do a lot of dancing apparently. So this is what happens when like I'm about to clean and I need to get the little energy boost and dance a little bit before I get into that space. And so, yeah, I really, really like, I think I just, I guess I'm just realizing now how often I listen to just like random artists and not really like some groups on repeat. Um, So, but yeah, I think Sevilla Cruz has always been there since I was little. So it makes sense. Um, so I will popcorn it to EVA. Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. And I love the earth, wind and fire. I think that is just <laughs> so on point. I love that. Um, my top artists, I'm obsessed with all of them for different reasons. Number one, Leanne Lahavis. Oh my gosh, that woman, she dropped an album this year. 
And I listened to that so much. And that's probably why she was my number one. She is a queen. Um, Burna Boy, for all my Nija people out there, they already know what it is. That is like who you go to. Um, Frank Ocean, because he will always and forever be one of my favorite artists and great when I'm studying, great when I just want to chill. Like he's a vibe always and forever. Then I have Elevation Worship because y'all know my behind stays praising God. And so that is my praise music. Um, They had a really good song this year, The Blessing. That was my number one song. So, you know, I like to jam, but I like to praise Jesus at the same time. And then lastly, we have Snow Allegra, who is just mm, mm, Mm. a queen, an absolute queen. And I just listened to a lot of her this year as well. So Honestly, ooh, I feel like those artists very, very perfectly capture my 2020 experience. And like, those are the artists that really got me through <laughs> this year. So, I feel like they uh, also capture like the different parts of you too. Oh, 3000%, 3000%. Like just the R&B soul, like the Afro beats, the praise and worship, like my, my, my really close friends know that I don't really listen to hype music. I really only listen to like sad music or like very like soulful music. And I feel like, like the hypest I go really is like my Afro beats, like that stuff is hype. But other than that, I'm like very chill, just like in my feelings, swaying to myself type of person. But anywho, <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> she's Scorpio, everyone. That's why. What'd you say? You say yeah. my Scorpio? You're, you're a Libra Scorpio. Like you're on the cusp, right? Oh, no, no, girl. I am fully Libra. I am fully Libra. Do not even try to play me with Scorpio. Oh, no, 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 honey. But we won't, we won't chat about that. Let's not get too much into that. What does it need to know? Um, but yes, proud Libra. Moving on. <laughs> um, we we're talking about how this year has been just so monumental and... For Bernie and I, we had our like clinical experiences. We spent our year in the hospital doing rotations. Obviously, uh, what we thought was going to sort of be the year that we were looking forward to in January was not the year that happened quite exactly because of COVID. And that changed a lot of things for us. But I think there were still a lot of things that we gained from this year. And I would love to hear from all of us um, just sort of what were the pearls that we took away from this year Um, whether it was from being in the hospital, being in the classroom, teaching, learning, like whatever it may be. Um, And I will, I'll throw it to Bernie first. Yeah. Okay. So I I was like, should I go through my top three? Yeah. I was like, do we take turns? Let's just do it all because I feel like they're all related. But the first one, you know, I was like, first of all, y'all, we made it. Okay. (laughs) We, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think I tweeted something like, I feel I'm so grateful, but also I feel fucking exhausted, like knees at the finish line, like I'm panting, like I'm really, I was so tired. I was really tired. I'm going to crawl my way across this finish line. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm I'm probably going to go back to the hospital for rehabilitation, honestly, but we all made it. Um, and everyone coming up, you're going to make it because really this year, I'm really glad again that, um, I think in the beginning we were talking about how we were very intentional about choosing longitudinal programs. And again, like I, I would support that 100%, um, because it really, I think, especially this year, um, in medicine felt like it was a really beautiful exposure to so many different fields and specialties that, um, I didn't know how they worked and it's really interesting to like see this whole system also to be a newcomer and to come from again families of which and communities that do not trust medicine and so I'm I'm in the hospital really like you know how are we really advocating for our patients how are we advocating for our communities and so the first pearl I have is really trusting your bridge as a patient and a um, student doctor So knowing that like, um, as I'm going into medical school and my third year, like um, my experience, my life experiences are still nearest to that of a patient. And so 
there are a lot of pressures in the third year of medical school to like learn a impossible amount of information to perform to a certain level and to um yeah and to just like have like know so much and do so much in a short amount of time and oftentimes those pressures can try to form you into someone else or into just like completely only knowing medicine through the biomedical perspective and the reality is that I think um, trusting myself and knowing that what knowing that like hey I'm a medical student I have extra time with this patient that means I can really expand on their social history and why they're doing the things they're doing and why did they really come today or you know why do they seem um, sad why do they have these certain questions what are they feeling what are their emotions so um, really um, taking advantage of being a patient and also being a medical student and knowing that you have actually more time than actual residents and doctors to get to know patients in ways of which they can't um, because the system doesn't allow them to and because a lot of residents and doctors get programmed after a while to forget about these things. And so whether it's in the surgery operating room where I help to advocate for patients and get to know them as they're on the um, as they were in the operating room to in the family medicine clinic to my pediatrics patients, um, really those extra conversations brought so much to my understanding of how the patient was experiencing disease and their health. And also it was so valuable um, to the healthcare team during rounds. And like for, I don't know, there, there are some doctors who just like, they don't like this, but there are a lot of people who really do appreciate your insight and your ability to really give that patient perspective. So trust yourself as a bridge, even if you feel like you don't know the science as well, you do have such expertise and knowledge in how you've experienced medicine, your families and your communities have experienced medicine. Um, and I'm gonna go to my second pearl and then we're just gonna come back to me. <laughs> so my second pearl, okay, I tweeted about this um, a long time ago and it went viral. I did not expect it to go viral. So basically, long story short, I was in a three-day rotation with a guy in Surge and uh, that was intense as hell. Like there were like six, six hour surgeries, like, and it was really wild to help just like hold the uterus up or just like, it's just a lot of like manual work. Nine surge is like one of the most, like, I don't even know, vigorous things. Like <laughs> it's so tiring. I totally feel you. Sorry, carry on. Yes. Like, we're doing really important stuff, but also like the amount of work is exhausting. Like, I don't know how people with disabilities are able to be in this field. Like, I don't think it's accommodating at all surgery in general, but um, anyways, there were back-to-back -back surgeries and the resident team, I'm gonna give them benefit of the doubt, but they were really stressed that day. And I really just wanted to like eat a sandwich. I wanted to do just like take a break. Sometimes during um, clinical year, we can talk about this later, but like I would literally just say I need to go to the bathroom so I can take a few breaths. Like <laughs> it just is that fast paced. But anyway, I just wanted to eat cause I need to eat, yo. But as I started eating my sandwich, then like the chief resident looks at me and is like, what are you doing? You're wasting time. And I'm like, I'm eating, like I'm eating my meal. <laughs> I just was helping with surgery. She's like, why are you wasting time? Like you're here only for a few days, like, and they need you in the next surgery room. Like you need to go now. And I was like, they do not need me. I was like, I was not here two days ago. Like, what, what are you doing? Ain't nobody need us. Right. <laughs> exactly. I was like, and I told her, I was like, I'm going to finish my sandwich, then I will meet them in the operating room. Like I have been there for six hours. Like I at least need 10 minutes. And so with that whole thing, I like tweeted this thing and I'll just say it aloud. Normalize doctors taking breaks, normalize doctors drinking water and going to the bathroom, normalize doctors eating in peace and not in front of a computer, normalize doctors crying, normalize doctors taking the day off to rest and reset, and normalize doctors being human. Anyways, that was just a very like cathartic thing for me because I was like, you know what? I was like, I deserve to eat. And I was like, I deserve to take a break. <laughs> but I guess, um, I guess this rage really did resonate with a lot of people because it went viral. And there were a lot of people who from different countries all over the world, I think it got like 
over 25,000 likes, just whatever. But it really just showed me how, um, especially with COVID and everything going on, um, this system really does overwork a lot of people. And it's really up to, unfortunately, up to us to advocate for our own health when a lot of the system is going to demand so much. I mean, 12 to 16 hour days, six days a week for residents. Like, it's just such a, it's such a huge responsibility and a huge burden on our health. And so I realized that one of the biggest pearls really is to stay mindful and advocate for your own health because you are your own best advocate. And that's not to say that um, systems should not because they are definitely you know, at the core, they should be the ones who really uplift a lot of the healthcare workers, especially at this time. But it's becoming very clear that um, there's not care given to trainees, to doctors. And it was really hard for me to witness that, especially with the pandemic going on and with, you know, the high stress of all of that. So just wanted to say that my biggest pro has been normalizing for myself. When I feel tired, I will say I am tired when I need a break. I will take a break. And in spite of that, not being agreeable to some people, just knowing that like, I need that for myself and that is enough. And I will make time to do that. Whether that's like stepping outside, going to the bathroom. Um, and even if you need to advocate for yourself to university to file forms of a formal request of which to actually make that for yourself, that is super important. And that's nothing to be ashamed about. Um, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people do because it's there's a stigma to it. But again, being able to do that for myself was just life-saving. So please, please take care of yourself and advocate for yourself um, because you are worthy of it. I love that. Um, I totally, totally resonate with the advocate for yourself and your own health thing. And that's probably one of the major reasons why I can't go into surgery. Surprise, everyone. Not that anyone is surprised because I've been saying that I couldn't do that forever. forever. <laughs> but um, like you, like you, Bernie, I need to eat and I need to eat when I am hungry and I cannot delay that. It is a very serious thing for me. I don't know why I like, I'm just very regimented about like needing to eat at a certain time or just like not going too long without eating. And it's just very difficult in surgery. And so I definitely would always, I would always be like, okay, so, you know, when does this case end? When can I take it? When can I step out for lunch? You know, I think I was very clear about, um, just those priorities for me. So I'm happy that you advocated for yourself and I'm sorry that you had, <laughs> people like on your behind trying to make you run back to surgery where you're not needed. Um, you're, it's all, it's really all for your own learning and for people to put pressure on you. Like that is kind of, um, irksome, but yeah, pearls that I took away from this year, honestly, I took away some pearls just about like the medical profession at large. I took away some pearls for myself. So the pros of the medical professional at large is that like a really good primary care doctor can really make a huge difference. Um, I really saw amazing, amazing care from my family medicine uh, preceptor and my internal medicine preceptor that really just made me, it really made me inspired and just made me think, well, wow, they're catching so many things like early on, they can really make a big difference for these patients' lives. Um, and then, so that's like one major thing that I, that I realized that I really appreciated. But then of course, when, you know, you're talking to people about specialties, it's really another thing that I learned about the medical profession is that people like to talk a lot of crap about different specialties. And so just hearing how people like can look down on certain specialties, it was really like, I don't know, it was really jarring for me because these are the people that like are your colleagues and people that you went to medical school with and like are really bright individuals who you can like talk down upon. And I think it was just something that really rubbed me wrong witnessing. Um, and also just like how certain specialties are associated with certain step scores and like having to perform at this certain level. And that's a whole conversation for another day. Um, but I just learned that the medical profession, I mean, I guess I already knew it before, but there's just lots of, um, there's lots of imperfections in it. And some of those imperfections come from your own colleagues. Some of them are from like the system at large. Um, but there are a lot, there are some really great people who can do really great work. And I, I just really valued my primary care physicians that I got to work with. Um, 
something I learned about myself during this year that I didn't expect was that I actually enjoyed my time doing inpatient more than I thought I would. I thought I was going to really truly hate doing inpatient stuff just because I thought like, oh, well, maybe not hate, but maybe that's too strong. I thought I wasn't going to like inpatient because I don't know. I just didn't like the idea of being in there for hours. I like the idea of sort of helping people more um, over a long term. But I think some of the advantages of inpatient is like someone is coming to you with this problem more acutely and you're actually able to um, follow them over the course of that problem and really see them like from start to finish. And so when I was doing my inpatient medicine time and like admitting patients and then seeing them over the course of their time there and getting to know them like more deeply and getting to know their families as their families came like every single day and like chatting with them and giving them updates. Like I actually did feel like I was able to form a close bond with them that I didn't expect. So I did appreciate that. And for all those who may be concerned about inpatient stuff, it's actually, I think there's, it's not as bad as you would think. I still don't know that I necessarily prefer inpatient to outpatient, but I think that there are lots of things that you can gleaned from an inpatient experience. This is for inpatient medicine. Bernie is looking at me like I'm a crazy person right now. You guys can't see. I cannot relate. So (laughs) inpatient surgery. I mean, I, I, you, you already know how I feel about surgery. It's not for me, but inpatient medicine, like I think with a good team, it can be really like empowering to fall, to have like a patient that is your patient. And people are asking you like, what's going on with this person? And it's like, oh, you know, I checked in on them this morning. I talked to the family members. I gave them these updates. Like I felt really responsible for their care in a way that really was empowering to me that I didn't expect to feel. Um, I just, I felt like a really important member of the care team when I was doing inpatient medicine. So I learned that, you know, maybe I won't hate it as much as I thought I would. Like residency might not be as bad. Like I honestly was scared for residency and I still am scared for residency because just of the hours and the intensity and just the complete change from medical school. But like, maybe I can handle it. I don't know. We'll see. And like one thing that I loved about um, inpatient stuff, like, well, actually this isn't, this is not specific to inpatient. That's a lie. This applies to anyone, but just like making connections with people, especially with language. I only speak English fluently. I know some French, I know words here and there in Russian, but San Francisco has a weirdly large Russian population. And I had many Russian patients and me just being able to say things to them in Russian, like actually made them open up to me. Like one of my preceptors was like, oh, this patient She's not going to want to see a student. She's not really like, like she doesn't, she's not really nice to people basically. And she was like this older Russian lady. And I was like, oh, привет, как дела? Which is like, hi, how are you in Russian? And she looks at me and because no one ever expects a black girl to be speaking Russian to them. They're like, what in the, um, so she was really shook. But like, after I started talking to her, she was like, why do you know Russian? I was like, oh, you know, like I went to St. Petersburg. I had a Russian roommate. And then she really warmed up and told me all these things. And the preceptor was like, she was like, you're telling me things about this patient that I have never known. And I've been taking care of this patient for years. So I just think the power of making those little like connections um, is really awesome. And just taking that little extra time, I think it's really obvious, but when people don't do it, then there's like things that they can miss. Um, so I'm really grateful that I was able to do that. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have any other, I'm sure I have other pearls, but like on the spot, it's never as easy to think about, but yeah, those are some of my takeaways from this year. It was a weird year because of COVID, but still grateful for all the things that I got to experience. And Nicole, I'll toss it to you. What are some of your pearls from this year? Yeah, so this year I I did a research year um, where I was teaching and researching. I was completing my master's and now I have a master's. So excited. Got it last week. Um, (laughs) uh, Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I say one more time. No worries. I was just calling out Berkeley on when they're going to send that damn diploma because it took me like four months anyway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, this was like really hard for me to get this master's for so many things. And so 
for me, 2020 was such an interesting year. Like thinking back at the discussion we had in January, I think my theme was liberation and like looking at it now, I'm like, I, I will share my story about my master's, but there's so many other stories that happened this past year about around that. Um, and so for me, so my master's, I worked on um, interviewing people who were previously detained and asking about their experiences in immigration detention in the United States. And for a while, I had been feeling like, this is really hard. Like, I, and, and, you know, so much of this, like, oh, it's hard is like this internalized racism, systemic oppression that is like really hard to address, where it's like, oh, it's just hard because I can't communicate. It's just hard because I'm not good at XYZ. And so going through the year, I kind of started realizing how much of that was things that I had been internalizing for such a long time. And so one of those things is like this thing about communications, like, oh, I'm just bad at communicating. And then realizing like, no, just communication is different in my family and the ways that I was raised and how it is just normalized here. And no one ever gave me the introduction to like how things are done here. Um, and I think it's interesting because I went to an undergrad that was mainly people of color. It was, you know, it always wins like most diverse college and all these things. And so also realizing like, oh, I'm introduced to this a little bit later in the game too for people that are at UCSF or are at like UC Berkeley and things like that. Um, and so just also honoring that. And so, you know, I was doing my master's. Interestingly, like I like everything happened, you know, sh the shelter in place took place and I could no longer try to like recruit people. Um, but interestingly there also, like I had the downtime to realize that what was happening in the field of medicine by also being like slightly removed from it and realizing like all of this conversation around self-sacrifice and what does that mean in the field of medicine? And you see like a lot of students talking about like, yeah, like what self-sacrifice to them meant and like the understanding that it was kind of like thrust on them. So it was like very like militarized conversations around like, oh, it's my duty and this is what I signed up for and all of these things. And then realizing just like how internalized going back to Bernie's point is like not caring for ourselves and how that is like placed as like a selfish act to do. Um, and so it was really interesting to be away from medicine, to be able to observe people in medicine making these comments. Um, and, and then what I loved was that like at my school, people started having that conversation about what does that actually mean? Um, about self-sacrifice like why why and what's behind it and what are the larger issues um, that could be re like having people feel this way within medicine and so I was really appreciative of being in that space in that time um, but so then I did these interviews and so like like I said every time I would do an interview I would just like feel so anxious like my palms were sweaty I didn't want to mess up like this person is giving me their time they went through something really difficult like I don't want to be like someone that's just using their stories, like all of these like emotions. And so it was just really tiring after, after every conversation. And so um, I honestly like couldn't tell you what, what, what was going on until I slowly started finishing the interviews. And so one of them, this woman commented about how, how difficult it must be for me to do these interviews because of the history that I have. And so my parents and my like family members have been in immigration detention and they have been deported. And so, um, you know, acknowledging that. And so to that person, I, you know, we really didn't have a conversation around it, but as soon as I hung up, I was like, yeah, this is really hard. This is like hard work to be doing in the communities, which you're from. And so I'm like, I can't be the only person that thinks this. And so I started doing like a literature search or at that point. And I found like these amazing women they do like this thing called women of color in research um, work. And basically they they put out this request for how schools can support well, now that you're allowing more students of color into your institution from different communities, how you can support them in doing the work that they want to do for their communities. Um, and so, so much of that was like, wow, like I, you know, forming a group. And so we had a group with shout out to Willow and Maddie. Um, and they really were like this, uh, support group outside of this for the research. Um, so for students that are gonna be doing research, that's hard, that hits like a nerve from you growing up or things like that. Like I highly suggest having a group of peers um, that are doing similar work, that it's just really helpful to have that emotional space that it's just not there in, in anything else otherwise. Like it's not in academia yet. And so one of my last interviews, 
I finally realized my second to last interview, why these things had been so hard. And it's because I had so much fear. Like they were touching like little Nicole who was scared of deportation. They were like talking directly to her about like, cause I remember I have clear like memories about being in first grade and parent teacher conferences coming up. And I would just feel so nervous because I didn't want my teachers to deport my parents. I didn't want them to find out that they were immigrants and they were not like, they didn't have their papers. And so that fear was so real. And so me having these conversations really activated that fear for me. That was like, wow, like I, I'm going to get deported. I'm going to get like, like all these things are going to happen to me. And then the last two interviews I had were one of a woman who was detained and one of a man who was detained. And the way that they looked at life and the way that they looked at what happened to them, like changed me. And like it healed that like six-year-old Nicole, seven-year-old Nicole so deeply where it was like, why am I afraid? Like these people, they like did these things for themselves and like they used like what they had and like just their stories were just so inspiring and like it really was so deeply healing and you know that's not to say that it wasn't difficult and like you know all these other things but but I just felt so healed and so liberated from that burden that I had from when I was little um and so yeah so I think like part of my master's ended up being like this whole like personal healing process that I kind of knew at the beginning but wasn't really aware that that's what the conclusion of that was going to be um, and then kind of a lot of people, I think, towards the end of the master's project were really burned out. And I felt definitely that way. Um, but also just like, I remember there was a point where I just started crying. And I thought, I had thought that I was stressed and I didn't really know. I felt like overwhelmed. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm feeling. And then I turned it in and just started crying. And it was really like these beautiful tears that I could have chosen anything else. I could have like picked something else. And I didn't, and this is just really meaningful to me. And it really just like feels like it can make such an impact in the world that no one's really like talking to these people and hearing these stories and having them be put out there um, in, in ways in which like our, our world operates in their language, you know? And so I think like, I just felt really like just so grateful for so many things. And yeah, that was like my culminating moment for the year was just like, wow, like, if I chose any other thing, that would have been like so different, but I, you know, going under liberation and, and really like hearing stories from people that have been actually liberated and what that means for them and their families and their communities. It was really beautiful. That sounds so cathartic. First of all, like just having those conversations and feeling that healing of your younger self damn that's beautiful and two i just love how perfectly it fit in with your theme of liberation like your master's research but also like of yourself you know and like those fears and mm -hmm. the, just like the weight that was on you so that's beautiful what a what a i'm i don't want to say what a good year but like what a powerful message from this year yeah yeah for sure yeah, I think it's like realizing how much we internalize and how we can liberate ourselves through the communities we choose to be parts of and how those stories can help heal us. I, I just wanted to throw it back to Bernie because I think Bernie needs to finalize what she was going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was just going to say um, it makes me think of how like one observation that I also saw in medicine is that like wow, there are a lot of students who just really see medicine through a biomedical theoretical like textbook perspective and like your, your story and your, um, your work with your masters. And then I, I can only imagine like what you're going to experience with clinical year is like, no, like this is so personal. Like this is like, we see this reflected in our own families. Like each person is like, a family member is someone that we've known is ourselves and that's why like this work is that's why there's such a deep fire there um that's what, yeah that's what came to mind for me did you have another pearl bernie i think you mentioned having oh. a pearl that you wanted to share also cool if not whatever you whatever you want nah uh, yeah <laughs> well i know we discussed like with the madness of COVID, with BLM, and just like sort of 
dealing with all of the sort of mental traumas that were thrown at us because this was truly a traumatic year, not going to downplay it. Um, Just want to know, like, what were the different wellness strategies that you ladies had to get you through and like what worked for you or what didn't work for you? And what would you recommend to those listening? I can start off. Um, For me, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, really leaned into just like exercising and just eating right and like just praying. I think I was really having a really great streak of like just doing all of those things and reading too. Like I actually was making time to read, which was like for the first time in only the good Lord knows how long. Like I really hadn't been reading for a long time. So it felt really nice to just take time to like read daily, exercise, um, pray and just stretch. Like it was really nice. I felt like my, just like, I just felt so good. My personal wellness was like at its peak. Um, definitely did not stay like that. I have not worked out. We don't need to talk about it. It's been a minute y'all. Um, but I think at first when I stopped working out, it was primarily because, or like when it became a little bit like less consistent, it was because I had all these crazy inpatient schedules where I was like, you know, waking up at like 5 a.m., getting to the hospital, leaving like at six or seven. And so just like really crazy schedules that made it really hard for me to have a nice routine. And I think after after the routine would get like broken up, it was hard for me to get back into it. And at, at first I felt very like guilty that I wasn't doing it, but then I had to just learn to extend myself some grace and I still feel bad that I don't have all the same like sort of wellness things that I was doing at the beginning of the pandemic when things got really crazy and I really leaned into it. But um, just extending myself a lot of grace and knowing that this is still like a global pandemic. There is still a lot of like personal and collective trauma that's going on. I don't have to be my most productive self at all times. I don't have to be working out five days a week, eating super healthy. Like, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to have ice cream for dinner and that's that. And don't at me. And <laughs> like, I don't want to hear nothing. Like if that's my truth, that's my truth. I'm just trying to get by. Okay. Um, and Mary had a little lamb. And Mary had a little lamb, right? And water is wet and we're just gonna keep on moving on. So I think I definitely had some really great tools that I was able to use and I'm still able to lean on those things. Like I still have, like I remind myself, okay, you should stretch or you should go for a walk or do those things that I know that are going to sort of improve um, my mental health. Um, but I'm not gonna act like I was perfect and did it, but per- like did it perfectly all the way through, like for the past nine months. Like, no, I had a real good solid, like four months, then some intermittent and then a little bit less. And um, I just wanna be transparent. Cause I think it's really easy for me to say like, I did this, this and that, and I kept my wellness perfect, but it's like, it was definitely not. There were definitely ups and downs, but just a reminder to everyone to extend yourself that grace and know that we can't all be doing it perfectly hundred percent of the time. Some people can, but, I don't want people to put that much pressure on themselves. And just to know that there's always a new day, a new opportunity for you to get back on it. Um, But it's okay if things are not perfect 24 seven. So yeah, I did lots of exercise and reading and praying and meditating and talking with friends and I loved it all. And I'm not doing it all, all the time, but that's me. Nicole. That's awesome. I think I, yeah, I think actually before I, I get started with my wellness, I think one of the things that I want to do is just like talk about trauma in general. And just because we're like in medicine and a lot of people that listen are going into medicine, I think it's important to say, I don't mean to normalize trauma, but I do want to share that is is a shared experience in humanity and the ways in which medicine talks about trauma, they make it seem as if it's this one thing that can happen to you and change you as a person. Um, and like all of these negative side effects that we read about after like, you know, adverse child experiences and all these things that really actually trauma is trauma and it's, it's a shared experience and millions and hundreds of people overcome these very difficult experiences. And so, you know, now we're going leaning towards the benevolent childhood experiences, like things are changing, but also it's really scary. And so when things happen and you start to feel like, maybe some trauma impacted me and you things that come up to your mind first are really these things around like what the, like the medical paper said about trauma and like linked to like 
like different health outcomes, like all of these things are what comes in firsthand. But I just really wanted to say like first trauma is not normal and we're not going to normalize trauma, but also it's a shared human experience and that um, there's many resources and that things are going to be okay. And I do agree that 2020 is one of those years in which we're all experiencing trauma. Um, I know it's very common to have nightmares about COVID, about different aspects of COVID and the ways in which it's impacting your life. Um, and so, yeah, and I think just moving from that into like what we can do for our own wellness, how we can care for ourselves. And for me, a lot of that is through movement. I like love yoga. So I'll do yoga pretty often dance like I love dancing and I think recently I've gotten really into dancing and different kinds of dancing because I think it like it just moves my energy in different ways so one like weekend I'll do belly dancing and the next one I will do like I don't know salsa dancing so just like seriously like moving different parts of my body all the time and so like like they get on and so it's like you know especially now because we're so connected through zoom that you can take classes from anyone at any part and like you can really just like hang out with people all over the world that are taking these classes. And so I think that that's really fun and a, a great way for me to move like stuck energy. Um, because I think one of the things that is known now is that trauma stays in your body. And so one of the things you want to do is move it around. And like, you know, a lot of um, people that have been helping folks that have experienced really intense traumas in communities is through dance and how dance allows the release of that trauma. Um, and so then other ways that I like really take care of myself is through creative expression. So like pottery, I love making pottery. I took a break from it because it's winter and I'm not in San Francisco right now, but, um, I'm going back to it as soon as January hits. Then I am also like drawing, watercoloring. And then a really big thing I've incorporated this year is play. So I have my rollerblades that I've been uh, wearing. I have like my knee pads, my like wrist guards, my all of like the like safe stuff because it allows me to be safer and like feel stronger in like doing the crazy things that I want to do. And so lots and lots of play in in silly ways, Um, whether it's like also like being like, hey, can I watch your dog this weekend? And just like playing with the dog. And so um, those are the ways in which I really kept myself um, feeling more like myself throughout the year. Um, but yeah. What about you, Bernie? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to comment on how, when you were talking about dancing, it came to this like big realization for me also this year that like, um, especially being in psych and stuff like that, that the way that medicine approaches healing is often like either biomedical or cognitive so it's like you have to express that verbally but like the truth is that especially if you don't come from like white or European cultures like a lot of that is embodied and so there are just some feelings and emotions that cannot be expressed in words and that like actually a lot of our approaches need to really um, incorporate that like being in our body, acknowledging sensations and how that is actually truly healing. Um, But medicine has a long way to go. So I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. Also, wait, one thing, when you were talking about this trauma, I recently saw someone tweet me. I think it was, gosh, so much, so many things that we see or learn on Twitter, but someone said something about CTSD instead of PTSD. And I think it stood for continuous stress opposed to PT or continuous traumatic stress disorder or like chronic traumatic stress disorder. And I had never thought about that, but like not just the idea of trauma being one event, but it being something that like can occur continuously or like over time. And I thought that was really interesting. And yes, also agreeing with Bernie, love the idea of dance, like as using that as an expression and like that being a healing modality in and of itself. Yeah, I think for me, um... I'm thinking of two things and this relates to what I was talking about in my pearl of like, hey, these systems don't care about us, but you gotta take care of yourself because you're valuable, you are worthy. So you are worthy of like sticking up for yourself. So one thing I've been doing, which is really fun and also super uncomfortable, but really fun when you do it is like, instead of asking for permission, I like just opt for forgiveness and or just like, I switch into like questions into declarative sentences. So for example, like there was a point where I realized like 
the hierarchy of medicine is always such that, I don't know, they always see students as like the lowest on the totem pole, but I'm like, no, like I need a break. Like I need to go outside or I need to, I need to go to lunch or I need to take a week off. And so rather than um, asking for permission and saying like, hey, like, would it be okay if I like just go outside for five minutes because I feel this way and explaining myself and trying to ask other people for permission about my health, I have chosen, um, and this is situation by situation and depends per person. Um, but for me, like it's been super empowering to be like, I am going outside for 10 minutes to take a breath of fresh air um, because this morning has been a lot and I'll see you in 10 minutes. Or there was a point um, in June where I was just like, I need a week off. And um, I can see that this, the things I'm supposed to do this week can fit in this week. And hopefully it's okay if we can talk after this week on how that will work. But anyway, just like switching from these like um, question based um, and like asking for permission for my own health and switching it to a more declarative sentence. Um, and of course that again, it like depends per person and with identities and stuff like that. Um, but really saying that has empowered me to see myself as like, hey, I am worthy. And like, I know my own health and like, I can advocate for myself. And like, this is how I respect myself. And I hope that that can also be acknowledged because that comes from a good intentioned place where I'm able to help other people and be a better student and doctor as I do that. So. That's one thing that has been really interesting and it's also a, a thing of growth as well. Um, but if that's like within your practice and feels like it can be within a good growth zone and it doesn't feel dangerous um, at all, that's just something to think about. And also, you know, it's really interesting because um, as you reflect on that, um, just realizing like, are there people you don't feel safe doing that and why? And what does that actually tell you about that relationship? Do they really respect you? And do they really care about your safety and your wellness? So anyway, those are big things. Um, and then the second thing- Can I yeah. interrupt really quick, Bernie? Yeah, I think also just because it, one of my experiences with that also is kind of what you mentioned before too, is like with the disability accommodations, that that is actually a way in which you can do that too, if you feel like, unsafe in the relationships, you can actually just impose these things um, as accommodations. And I think that I'm always surprised in what can be an accommodation um, because I think all students deserve that. Like like how much you should rest every night, like protected time to sleep, protected time to eat, protected time to just take a break when you need to. Um, those are all considered accommodations that I feel like speak more about medicine than they do the person that's seeking these accommodations. And so just going back to your point about the resting and then also the, if you don't feel safe, there are spaces in which you can um, ask for these things. Yeah, thanks for that, Nicole. And also there are these like little kids outside that are like, wow, wow. They've been saying that for the last 10 minutes. So I, if I feel very distracted, I'm just so in awe of people. Like I freaking love kids, they're so cute. Um, and I was gonna tie this back into my wellness strategy because I do feel like this year, like I felt a lot of anger and a lot of rage, um, whether that's with current events, um, thinking about like the elections or just the different um, protests that were going on and also how medicine, especially in institutions would take um, a stance, but then they wouldn't like really embody that. But although shout out to UCSF for implementing the racial trauma protocol, um, especially for black students, that was really awesome. Y'all should definitely look that up. Um, but that is definitely, has definitely been super helpful. And that's how an institution should actually respond to different events that are going on um, that really harm um, our black community and black and brown communities. and all of that. Um, so one of my wellness strategies is really like for me, I have just had to accept that like I cannot just be doing medicine. And for me, I have to like channel a lot of that 
anger and that rage into creativity. And for me, my creativity, one of the biggest outlets is in community organizing. And so we've like really expanded with the Freedom Community Clinic. And it's been so fun because literally I feel like, I feel like sometimes Freedom Community Clinic is like a community art project among different uh, local healers. And it's just a platform for people to connect their um, healing and also their healing from traumas. And so we're actually just doing a year in review, but we've been able to really impact over like over a thousand people with our clinics. It's been super dope. And I think I've talked about it before about how we've had healing for black lives clinics that have incorporated um, ancestral indigenous healing. So whether that's acupuncture, acupressure, um, massage therapy, spiritual counseling, art therapy, alongside like Western medicine, we've had like nurses and doctors alongside. And then we've been able to do just like free community health training. So giving out free naloxone. I have hell naloxone in my closet. The feds will probably think something's up, especially cause I'm in the hate. Um, free naloxone. We've done a lot of virtual healings with like breath work for anxiety and just different healing art therapy workshops that are completely for free and or people get paid to heal. Um, and we've also been able to rest and just like uh, we've been able to launch like Undocu Healing, which is a youth led group that um, it it integrates like healing and political education for undocumented and mixed status folks. And these are really just all ideas from the community that Freedom Community Clinic during a time of political turmoil has just become this platform for people to just um, see themselves as like leaders in really connecting their lived experiences with um, collective healing. So for me, like that's just been super awesome. Cause I think sometimes the narrative in medicine is like, you've got to keep studying. And of course, like that is definitely some people's journeys because it's hard, like it's for real hard. Um, uh, but for those of you who like, I need to do this part because like this part is life-saving or like, for me, it's like, I need to be organizing for other people. It's like, I need to be writing. I need to be dancing. I need to be doing art. Like, please keep doing that because if it's going to, I don't know, if it keeps calling you, it's really there for a purpose. And you'll just see the connections of ways like this is going to make you into a better doctor and a better healer. And I know for me, like that was my saving grace. Like, especially I was like, I did not have um, a revelation of joy with inpatients. So after each inpatient week, I'd be like, oh my God, y'all. I'd like go to the Freedom Clinic organizing team and I'd be like, please help. Like, <laughs> and um, it would just be good to channel that energy into giving. So, um, and I'm really grateful that again, have been able to connect with a lot of community outside of medicine during a very medicine intensive year. Um, it's a very skewed way of life when you just like have doctors as like your um, friend circle because we, the things that we see are not are like very intense. And so to be able to be reminded of what life is outside of medicine um, is really affirming as to, yeah, what uh, just like a more well-rounded and balanced life can be. So yeah, it's been, it's been a year and we're still, uh, we're still going. It's been a year indeed. It really has. And I'm really curious to know for you guys, what your goals are for next year, if you have goals already, or just sort of like visions for next year, if you're comfortable sharing, I'm asking partially because I'm still trying to figure out my own goals. Well, I have like some general, I guess, general personal goals for next year. That's, that's, let me not say that I don't have goals, but I guess my themes that I should be saying. I know we talked at the beginning of this year in January, what our themes were, or sort of like the word of the year. Nicole, you mentioned liberation. Mine this year was adaptability and last year was resilience. And the year before that was gratitude, but I don't really know what 2021 is going to be. And I think I'm trying to keep it nice and broad or like, I'm trying to keep myself open to many things because mom's coming. Anyways, I would just love to hear what your guys' goals are. Cause I think that would be super helpful for me just thinking about, or your, your theme. Sorry, I keep saying goal, but what I mean to say is theme for next year. So if you have some, please share. I can start. Um, so 
yeah, reflections are huge for me. And I'm gonna just say two things. So my themes, I'm like, yeah, my theme is clarity and abundance. Um, I've recently come to, especially with clinical year and everything that's going on, I recently come to some exciting decisions and realizations that I'm sure some of y'all know, but um, super exciting for me. And I can't wait to share them in due time. And um, I came to those themes too, because as I was doing my um, end of year reflection and also setting intentions for 2021, Usually I look, I like to look at like different parts of my life and like, I've been doing this for like a good couple of years. And for the past couple of years, I'm like, okay, health, okay, med school, da, da, da. but actually I've like reframed those different parts of my life into like what they are providing me or what are they nourishing me? So for example, like instead of entitling a section on wellness, I entitle it love, loving, nourishing and taking care of my vessel. So yeah, or for example, like instead of saying like relationships, I put balance and independent balance and interdependence, um, expanding my soul family and partnerships. So yeah, and I've also like um, as I do like to do lists, instead of saying like nine to ten, I'm doing med school. I like put um, learning more about the human body to give back to my community. So it, like it really reframes something that could be so burdensome or something so ordinary into like, oh, wow, like this is actually forming me into the being that I need to be for this purpose. So anyway, just two tips and my themes for 2021. I love that. I love the reframing of everything. It's so beautiful. I definitely don't like that, but I can appreciate (laughs) that you do. (laughs) Because sometimes you're like, damn, like what am I doing this for? And you're like, okay. You're not wrong. (laughs) Not wrong. It's a way to keep you centered for sure. Or like always thinking about like your life's missions, right? Or like those sort of things that are driving you. So Mm -hmm. I like it. Nicole, do you have, do you know what your theme is for next year? It's totally cool if you don't. Yeah. I mean, I think most like my themes kind of pick me um, towards the end of the year it's like what is this keeps coming up like I thought this was like what and so I it, and usually it comes up in multiple parts of my life and so right now like I think moving into third year which I think hearing about all of y'all like, like experience with the clerkship year and things like that I feel like 2021 is going to be the year for me where I'm focusing on self-trust in all aspects of my life um and centering around that like how do I trust myself and in what ways and what do I use like how do I use my body to trust myself and you know all of the all of the things that that encapsulates um and like how I'm being challenged now versus kind of towards the end of the year next year just like trying to really think about like self-trust in so many aspects of my life I love that And I also, I agree that I think my theme normally chooses me. I normally like sort of start out the year and sort of see what challenges or things or issues that sort of present themselves to me and think like, ooh, what is this thing that like I am still struggling with? And I sort of use it as a way of like framing the the year. And I have to say adaptability worked out well because when COVID hit, shoot, you had to be real adaptable. Every other day, there's something new you're learning like, oop, guess I'm not doing this. Oop, guess I can't do that. So I sort of wait and see what the year tells me. So it's always nice hearing other people's themes and just thinking about like, what are those things that I'm working on? What are those things like that is still a challenge? And we'll see, baby, because January 1st is only three days away. (laughs) It's about to be here. Mm Um, but I'm so glad we had a chance to just like talk about life this year. And I look forward to talking to you guys more about it and just learning more about how your clerkship year goes, Nicole. And for all of those beautiful revelations you had, Bernie, for all of them to be like manifested, I'm excited. Yes. And to all our listeners, we have exciting things. We were just talking before this on some really dope things that are out of the blue but really fun that we're hoping to bring y'all in 2021 and if y'all want to i don't know hear about a different topic um have us come to you we're super yeah we are just like here we're very adaptable we love to like do this and we're just like always so um 
humbled by the way that our stories and the different things that we talk about really speak to y'all and we want to continue doing that so if y'all have anything to tell us keep sending us love because we literally screenshot it to each other and like we're like yes so keep up with the the love and we will continue to give y'all our love and our best Oh, and one last thing, um, as Bernie and I have step studying and as Nicole has like her clerkship year starting, we're going to be doing a little bit of a hiatus for the next couple months and then we'll get back to it. So we'll miss you all in the next couple of months, but we will see you in 2021. See y'all soon. Love you.